Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we join a squad of clone commandos on their first mission together, stranded behind enemy lines and led by a reluctant Padawan. Omega Squad tries to stop the development of a deadly virus. It's Republic Commando Hard Contact by Karen Travis. And joining me to talk about the story is the biggest clone fan that I know, Kat. Welcome back to the show, Kat. Yay, I'm so glad to be back. It's like I never left. (laughs) Of course, Kat was one of the five guests that joined me last year to talk about the new Jedi Order book series. But, first and foremost, Kat loves Star Wars animation, especially the clones. Rex, Fives, Echo, Hunter, Tech, Omega. But now, Kat you're getting to meet a whole new squad. Did you enjoy your introduction to these characters? I loved it so much. And again, I just have to say thank you, Star Wars guru Aaron, for giving me yet more clones to fall in love with because these characters are still amazing and all the nuances we get are fantastic. So this story came out after the... Clone Wars micro-series by Gendy Tartakovsky, but prior to the Clone Wars animated show that most people know and love, the one with Captain Rex and Ahsoka Tano, when you were reading this story for the first time, did you kind of imagine the story as you were reading it like one of those Clone Wars Bad Batch animation-style arcs? Oh yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the entire Star Wars universe takes place in that style, just because that's how I fell in love with the universe. It wasn't through the original movies, which I do still love, but it was through that animation, and those characters are very near and dear to me, so the way that they're drawn, the way they interact in that series just carries over to when I'm reading a series like this. Awesome. Well... Kat and I will talk more about Darman and Niner and Phi and Aten and Attain the Padawan a little bit later. But first, let's take a couple of listener questions. Our first email comes from Mark in Australia, who has a few questions. Mark says, I love the show. Your efforts are greatly appreciated. Well, thank you very much for the lovely comment there, Mark. Mark continues, I'm a huge fan of the Starships in Star Wars. The bigger the better. If you were a Grand Admiral or equivalent rank, what would your flagship be? Well, Mark, I will admit I don't know a ton about the ships in Star Wars. That's never been 
a subject that has been a particular interest to me. But one ship I always thought was cool was the Executor. Darth Vader's Super Star Destroyer in The Empire Strikes Back specifically. And then, of course, in Return of the Jedi. So if I'm going to go big, I might as well go big. I'm going for the biggest one. <laughs> I'm taking the Executor, the Super Star Destroyer. Absolutely. Cat, <laughs> do you have a favorite um, fleet-sized starship? I uh, actually I had to do some research as well, and uh, of course the Resolute popped up, and immediately I had to choose the Resolute. It's the one I am most familiar with from the Clone Wars, and it's our sweet boy Anakin's flagship. So I I gotta go with our our Clone War main main flagship there. Awesome. Mark's second question. If a single Imperial II Star Destroyer came into orbit over Earth with all of its complements, how long do you think it would take for Earth to surrender? Or would we put up a fight and repel them? I think we would try to put up a fight. I don't think it would be too long before the Empire would kind of smash us into submission. So I'm going to say, again, it's one Star Destroyer. It's an entire planet. It's not like uh, it's going to be able to shoot. It's not going to be able to bombard cities all over the place at one time. I'm going to say Earth submits in two months. I'm going to say two months. Well, that's being generous. I, I think it would be much sooner, depending on if we knew about the Star Wars universe, if this is an alternate universe where we didn't know. Um, but if, if the people of Earth did know about that, all of the Star Wars fans would be like, look, don't even try. We are not ready for it. We, are, we do not have the capabilities. Let's just negotiate and take it from there. So my hope would be it would take a week so that we have the least amount of casualties do I know how people would try and fight back? Sure, but like, just just let it happen. <laughs> Question three. If you could sit in the Legends Lounge and have a drink with any Star Wars character, Cat, I'll let you go first. What drink would you like and who, who would you like to talk to and what question would you ask them? Uh, I'd probably go with something simple like a rum and coke. It wouldn't be too, too crazy. Usually I have like one, one and a half, and I'm good to go. But I would absolutely talk for hours with Ahsoka Tano. There'd be no one else that I could choose. And uh, question-wise, I would have to ask her which clone she fell in love with, because I don't believe she didn't fall in love with a single one. I just don't believe it. So we would definitely be talking all kinds of romance in the galaxy, because that's just who I am. <laughs> Mark, I'm a simple man. I like beer. Um, I like cheap beer. One of my favorite cheap beers is Miller High Life. So I would probably have a Miller High Life. And honestly, I would like to ask Shmi Skywalker her thought process in allowing Anakin to go off with Qui-Gon Jinn. I would just like to know what her answer is. I think I know what it would be, but I would like to know what it is. Wow, coming in with the deep cuts. Love that. Yeah. So Mark's final question. If you were in Luke Skywalker's shoes and had to rebuild the Jedi Order, what tenets or rules would you keep or change? Would you allow attachment like family? Would you have a council and ranks? Kat, do you have an answer for Mark? 
Yeah, uh, we got a little taste of that in the uh, New Jedi Order when he was kind of trying to work out uh, what direction he wanted the Jedi to go in. Uh, and I think he picked a good middle ground. Um, I, I'm glad that he, in, in this Legends arc, that he kept the attachment base. I like that. Uh, I, I think it just connects them more rather than cuts them off from the Force. I think their connections help them rather than hinder them. So I would definitely have to keep the attachment like family and uh, friends and all of that. Um, and as far as having a council and ranks, I think it just have to be a very loose system. If somebody wants to have uh, a master and apprentice situation, they can, but they don't have to. They can still kind of pass their tests, but having a council it can come with a lot of issues. So I feel like maybe just an advisory court or something like that. Mark, this is a difficult question. I think this is a question that a lot of Star Wars fans struggle with when they think about the role of the Jedi. I think George Lucas himself has struggled with this one. What is the proper role of the Jedi Order? I honestly don't have a good answer for you. I would like to think that I would allow the Jedi to have families. But then I look at it from another way and I'm not sure that that would work. I'm going to say a qualitative yes. However, one thing I do think the Jedi Order could use is a set of therapists on call 24-7 just so the Jedi could talk about their feelings because one of the big issues I've always had with the Jedi Order in the prequel era, I think we're comparing Luke setting up a new Jedi Order with the Jedi of the prequels, is they just didn't talk to each other about the different feelings they had. Very occasionally, you'd get some surface-level discussions between Anakin and Obi-Wan, but... I would allow them to have a family, but there would be mandatory therapy sessions like once a week. Absolutely. At the bare minimum, once a week. Like Some people might need a little bit more. All of the solos, as far as I'm concerned, Leia Han and the kids, they all need them big time. Like, yeah, I think that's a safe move. <laughs> Thank you very much for the email, Mark. And today's second email comes from Raj, who writes, I'm currently reading the novel Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. I am wondering if both Thrawn and Anakin were the chosen ones and the most powerful beings in the Star Wars universe. Who would Darth Sidious choose as his apprentice? In my opinion, Darth Sidious would choose Thrawn because he has a highly analytical and strategic mind capable of assessing every scenario and anticipating the consequences of his actions in a battle. Anakin lacks the type of mind that Thrawn possesses. Thank you very much for the email, Raj. I understand your point of view. I would go the other way. I think Sidious always picks Anakin. And while Thrawn may have a very strategic mind, Anakin may lack that, you're forgetting the Force. Anakin may be the most 
naturally gifted force user ever that we know of. He's easily manipulated by Sidious. All of these things go into the reason why Sidious chose Anakin to be his apprentice, even when Anakin didn't know that he was being molded by Sidious. So I think Thrawn's brilliance would keep Sidious away from choosing Thrawn to be his apprentice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Thrawn does anticipate everything, including if Darth Sidious started to manipulate him, he would be one step ahead of him. And uh, that would be the same. It was kind of the same situation uh, with Dooku. Dooku started to ask too many questions and uh, try and think for himself. And that doesn't work for Darth Sidious. That's why uh, he was slowly, slowly working on manipulating Anakin. And Anakin has too many emotions. Yes, he is very strong in the Force, but he also is very strong just in all of his emotions, and so he can be easily manipulated, hence why he was the perfect candidate for Darth Sidious. Thank you very much for the questions, Mark and Raj. Now, listener, if you have a question for the show, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, just record a short message and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 audio format. And coming up on the end of the show, Kat and I will read some Star Wars character groups that we've gotten. So stick around for that. But now it's time for today's book, Republic Commando Hard Contact by Karen Travis. Listener, grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins with four clone commandos meeting each other to form Omega Squad. Darman, Fi, Aten, and Sergeant Niner have their first mission, to find and capture a separatist scientist on the planet Quilara. Dr. Uthon is developing a nanovirus that targets clones, designed to wipe out the Grand Army of the Republic. Omega Squad arrives in an old Republic transport when their engine gives out, sending the team into freefall. Fi, Aten, and Niner make it off the plane with most of their gear, but Darman stays longer than the rest to save some of the heavier equipment. His jump to safety is a close call, but leaves him stranded kilometers from his brothers. In a nearby village, the young Jedi Padawan, Atain Tur Mukin, is on the run from Gez Hoken, the Mandalorian security chief, and his goons. Atain and her master, Cast Fulyer, came to Quilora to investigate the Separatist presence on the planet. But Hoken captures and tortures the Jedi Master, looking for information about the Republic military. But Fulyer refuses to talk, and he's executed. Atain eludes the militia and hides out in a local farmhouse. In the barn, Atain is visited by an elderly woman who feels strong in the Force, but in an unusual way. The woman tells Atain that the Republic has arrived on Quilora. Help will find her soon, and then the real mission can begin. 
That help arrives when Darman sneaks into the barn. At first, Etain thinks he's part of the militia and attacks, but the clone commando disarms the Padawan and introduces himself. He's a member of a four-man team ordered to capture Dr. Uthan and get Etain and her master off the planet. When Etain tells Darman that Master Fulier is dead, he says that means that she is now in command of the mission. But first, they need to find the rest of the Omega Squad. As the two set out across the woods, Etain asks Darman about the origin of the clones. She tells Darman that he feels like a ten-year-old child in the Force. But physically, she can see that he's a fully grown soldier. Darman tells her about the accelerated growth of the clones and the training they underwent to prepare them for war. Darman calls Etain commander, but she orders him to stop. Etain says she hasn't earned that title yet, and she's not sure that she deserves the opportunity to do so. The Padawan feels like she let her master down, and she's afraid she'll do the same for the clones. But Darman sees her determination to do what's right when trying to help the locals, despite their ill treatment of them. He says he'll help her become the commander he knows that Attain can be. At the landing site, Niner, Fai, and Aten head to the rendezvous point hoping to find Darman, but they find more than they bargained for and they run into a patrol of Gez Hogan's droids. The clones systematically take the droids out, but it blows their cover. They're forced to abandon the rendezvous point and head to a local mine to hide out. At the mine, Niner and Aten find a cache of industrial explosives and a large construction droid. The clones load the explosives into the droid, and Niner steers it toward the local communication center. Niner detonates the explosives and destroys the comm center, allowing the squad to contact Darman. Reunited, Omega Squad form a plan to take out Hoken's droid militia and capture Dr. Uthan. They're interrupted by an unexpected visitor, the old woman who had helped attain at the farmhouse. Only, she isn't really an old woman. Her name is Janart, and she's a Gerlanin, a race of shapeshifters. Janart says that Quilura used to be the home to all Gerlanins, but only she and her mate, Valakil, are left. Janart wants to rid the planet of the Separatists and the other farmers as well, so that she and Valakil can begin to heal the planet. Janart agrees to help Omega Squad infiltrate the Separatist compound on the condition that the Jedi Council and the Republic help clear the planet of unwanted visitors. Janart changes forms and hurries off to the security compound to discover where Hogan is keeping the scientists and their prize work. They could either be in the main compound or a less conspicuous private villa. As Omega Squad waits for Janart to return with intel, they get to know Etain. They sympathize with the loss of her master. They try to cheer her up by telling her their chosen names and some of their backgrounds as well. Right then, Niner didn't care. She possessed one fundamental element of leadership that you couldn't teach in a lifetime. She cared about those she led. The more the clones talk to Etain, the more they grow to respect her. Just then, Janart returns. She says that Dr. Uthan and her team of scientists have been moved a few times, but they were ultimately left in the basement of the security compound. 
a basement with access from the sewers. Instead of trying to fight their way into the compound, Darman suggests sneaking in through the sewer. He and Aten are picked to run the tunnels beneath the compound and make their way in as quietly as possible. The two make it in successfully, while Niner, Phi, and Atain keep the droids distracted outside the compound. They fire and run, fire and run, trying to confuse Hoken and the droids, allowing Darman and Aten to make their way into the basement of the compound. Inside the facility, Darman finds Dr. Uthan and locks down the basement corridors. The blast doors cut Hoken and the droids off from the basement laboratory and the scientists he is meant to protect. Darman and Aten sedate Dr. Uthan, set a pair of implosion devices, and flee back to the basement. Hoken and his right-hand man, Lieutenant Harati, arrive just as the clones enter the sewer tunnels. Harati gets off a shot and hits Aten in the gut, wounding him. Darman shoots Harati in the head and sets off the implosion, destroying the virus and the lab. He grabs Aten and the two head into the tunnels with Dr. Uthan in tow. Hoken escapes the compound and runs into a firefight with Niner and Phi. The clones make Hoken believe that he shot them, killing Phi and wounding Niner. The Mandalorian mercenary walks up to a screaming Niner and prepares to put the clone out of his misery when Atain appears and decapitates Hoken with her lightsaber. The Padawan recovers her master's lightsaber from Hoken's belt. Darman then arrives with a wounded Aten and an unconscious Dr. Uthan, just as a Republic gunship lands to take them off the planet. The story ends with Atain meeting with Jedi Master Arligan Zay. Master Zay congratulates Atain on the successful mission, but he warns the Padawan about how close she's grown to Omega Squad. Master Zay tells Atain that she must choose between her duties as a Jedi or she will jeopardize everything by staying with Omega Squad. Ultimately, Atain decides to stay with Master Zay to help the people on Quilara. She says a tearful goodbye to Darman and Omega Squad, but they all leave hoping to see each other again. Time to take a break. When we return, Kat and I will talk more about Republic Commando Hard Contact. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Padawan is the story of young Obi-Wan Kenobi's first solo mission. Determined to win the approval of his master, Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan tries to help a group of young people on a strange, dangerous planet. Can Obi-Wan save the teens before the planet destroys them? Find out in Padawan by Kirsten White. 
Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Kat and I are talking about Republic Commando, Hard Contact, by Karen Travis. Well, Kat, this is your first time reading this story. This is your first time being introduced to Omega Squad. What are your overall thoughts on the book? You just know me. I'm a sucker for clones, and they do an excellent job in writing these clones. Like, you can tell this is where they got the origins for the Clone Wars and for Bad Batch. These clones come with a ton of personality, and the difference that we get from Itain as a Jedi coming in and not knowing that the clone army even exists and she meets them for the first time and her first impressions of them wow it was such a refreshing and different perspective that we got on the clones because she meets them and she's like this is clearly a 10 year old boy in a man's body how do I put these two ideas together and also send these men out to battle. So this, full disclosure, this is the second time I'm reading the Republic Commando series. I remember enjoying them when I first read them, but it's been a long time. This story came out in 2004. I think I probably read the book sometime around there, between like 2004, maybe 2006, something like that. So I've read this series once, except the final book, Imperial Commando. I haven't read that yet, so that's going to be new for me when we get to that one. One thing I had forgotten about that I really enjoyed is the early part of the book when the clones themselves are interacting for the first time and their thought processes going into this first mission. You know, everything else at the beginning of the book, they're thinking back to their training missions on Kamino. Yes, some of their brothers died during those training missions. But except for the Battle of Geonosis, when the clones just show up, this is the first time that this commando squad has ever been together. And they're going on their first mission. I was imagining the dominoes from the Clone Wars animated show, Heavy, Fives, Echo, Cut Up, and Droid Bait, I was imagining that they were probably having similar conversations to the conversations we saw at the beginning of this book. Yeah, yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. They're very raw, they're like... This is what our training says. We immediately have to throw some of this out the book because like our training did not say anything about these grasslands or no cover with these trees or being separated or bada bada ba like uh very they 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 weren't afraid and they were afraid. And it was interesting to read that. No one ever told me what fruit tasted like. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. They're just sweet summer babes. What sections of this book piqued your interest the most? What what did you especially like in this story? I really loved the quiet moments that these clones had between each other whenever it was 
uh, Phi, Aten, and Niner trying to make their way to the rendezvous points and Niner being very insistive that we have to make it to the rendezvous point. We're not leaving Darman behind. Um, they had all come from previous squads where they had lost all the rest of their squads. So this new squad, they were all kind of holding on in different ways. Niner was not losing another man no matter what. Aten was really kind of trying to distance himself almost so that he didn't have that connection. And Phi was just trying to be the laughs that kind of kept them together. So having those little conversations between them and then, of course, between Darman and Etain, those were fantastic because Etain was so like, I'm not a commander and I should be taking orders from you, Darman. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to learn from each other to be able to make it through this. And so just those quiet moments that they had. Of course, they had great action, but it was really these these uh, interpersonal reactions that uh, were so interesting because I hadn't seen that before on the page. One of the things I found really interesting was how Aten was kind of the different one in the group. Not only because of the scar he has going down his face, but he was trained by a different sergeant. He was trained in a different way even though Darman, Phi, and Niner didn't come up together, they were at least trained the same way. Aten was trained differently. He's colder at the beginning than the rest of the squad. He doesn't interact with them like the other three are used to with their brothers. So I found that really interesting. And then, of course, my personal favorite parts of the book were the moments between Darman and Atain. Attain being both fascinated and on some level horrified by the clone army. Like, these people are amazing. Darman, you are amazing. But I just, I can't believe it's come to this, that we're breeding human beings to be our army. And then on the other side, Darman's just steadfast, belief, even though he's never seen Jedi do anything before, his steadfast belief that because Attain is a Jedi, she can do amazing things. And if she would only see herself the way I see her, which, let's face it, it's a little weird because Darman just puts her on a pedestal just meeting her. You know, you're this amazing person. But, I think Darman believes if Attain could at least see herself a little bit the way Darman sees her, then she can become the Jedi that she doesn't believe she will ever become. Right. Absolutely. That's why I think that that fight scene between them when he's kind of helping to train her uh, with the lightsaber and everything, he's kind of trying to get her out of her own head and make her see that you do deserve some modicum of respect because look at your skills with this lightsaber. Like, just take that for what it is. You are able to move quicker, faster, stronger than anyone else kind of in your range or in your level. 
So if you just take a little bit of that confidence and in turn, like we can give each other that confidence, that's what's going to make the mission a success is if we have confidence in the team as a whole, including ourselves. And Attain does do some amazing things when she and Darman are together. The picture we get of Attain is that she's been hiding for a while. You know, she's described as malnourished. She's described as overly skinny. And, you know, she's not a tall woman. But when Darman's trying to keep all of his equipment together, and he's got the heaviest equipment as he's moving across the terrain, she willingly takes portions of the E-Web cannon with her. And even though he's up ahead a lot of times, he'll turn around and she's just walking beside him. I mean, it's an effort, but she is moving this stuff along. And he's he's really impressed uh, at what she's doing. Yeah, or that hole that she digs, she just like moves, separates the earth. And she's like, oh, look, I found them without crushing any animals or any humans in the in the making. That's pretty incredible. And they come into contact with some weak way alien members of the militia before they meet back up with the rest of Omega Squad. And it's the first time Etain kills another person. She does it because she knows she needs to do it in order to accomplish the mission, protect Darman in the moment. But I like the fact that as a Jedi, she's horrified by it. And it, it, it kind of haunts her the rest of the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really nice to see that kind of emotion come from the Jedi because they do always um, protest to be, you know, a- about the sacredness of life in all of its forms. And then they go, they turn around and they're the generals for this clone, ar- clone army that's been grown and sent to slaughter. So it's very much opposing ideas. So to have, to be inside of a Jedi's mind as they struggle with that is really, really interesting. And I think that uh, Karen Travis, the author, does a fantastic job of skirting that line between, like you said, her her awe at Darman and also uh, how horrified she is that that is where they're at in this war. And so the fact that she has to take a life is just another level of that kind of uh, horrifying elephant element of the war. Was there anything in this book that didn't work for you? Uh, Personally, for me, I I think it's just a solid book overall. If I had one tiny nitpick, it was not the character of Janart, but the inclusion of a shape-shifting being because it allowed, in my opinion, it allowed the squad to get some of their intelligence a little too easily. But that's a very minor nitpick. Other than that, I think this book is very solid overall. Yeah, I definitely am in the same boat. Um, 
I thought it was so fun that they had the inclusion of Jannard. I didn't know that there was a race of aliens that were shapeshifters, and I happen to love shapeshifters. I don't know why, but I, I thought it was really fun that she kind of showed up in the form of an old woman and kind of had to go through this mystery of, like, we know she's not just an old woman and, you know, come to find out that she's a different race and, and her reasoning for helping them, but... Um, yeah, overall, I think the action in the story is great. I think it has wonderful pacing. Um, I was a little, like, just, I feel like Gez Hoken as a, as a um, villain was slightly subpar, but I thought overall, it, getting his perspective of, like, how angry he was that they used a Mandalorian's face, basically, to create this clone army, that was kind of interesting. So, if I were to be nitpicky, it was just some of his monologuing in his head or the whole shell game where he moves the scientists from the compound and then to the house and then back to the compound was a little silly but I get why so the Gerlanans Gerlanans I I don't know exactly how you pronounce it um it's not the first shapeshifters we've ever seen uh if you remember back in Attack of the Clones uh, the bounty hunter, Zam Wessel, that is hired to assassinate Padme. Um, she's stopped. The assassination is stopped by um, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Uh, she's a Claudite. It's another form of shapeshifter. Does not ship, uh, does not change shape nearly the way that Janart does. I think Zam Wessel... She's able to change the way she looks, but she still looks like a uh, like humanoid. Uh, humanoid, creature. I guess, is the word. You know, on two legs. Janart can change from an old woman into something that looks like a cat. Down into at one point, she's just like a pool of oil moving across them. So, I mean, that's uh, that's like yeah, it's like next level uh, shape shifting there. So. Um, was there something more in the interaction between Darman and Attain than just commander and soldier? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I love to read it that way. So, uh, but I also think there there are little hints. Um, they look at each other for just that second longer. She says whenever she's saying goodbye uh, to Omega Squad um, and Master Zay is making her is giving her a choice. He knows why the choice is so hard. Is it the connections to Omega Squad? Sure. But really, it's to one member in particular, and that is Darman. And whether it be a romantic connection or just a... Uh, we saw each other through a very hard, a, a difficult beginning and y they both helped each other, Darman helping attain more so, just kind of helping see the value in one another and uh, opening their eyes to a little bit more than just this is the mission, this is how we get it done, but how they get it done and uh, the teamwork that they're going to need to be able to do it. So it's definitely a bit more, but I don't think it takes on the whole like 
they both have hearts in their eyes and they can't live without each other. Could it end up there? I hope so, but. <laughs> what did you think about the closing scenes of the story um, where a wounded Aten and unconscious Dr. Uthen are taken onto the landing ship and Master Zay orders the rest of Omega Squad to accompany them up to the Republic cruiser that's in orbit. But he tells Attain that she needs to separate herself from the squad and stay there on Kulara. Um, what did you think of those scenes? Yeah, again, I think they were really well written because you could feel Attain's struggle in that moment. Um, she had to kind of put her feelings for the squad against how she thought that the future would be. Um, it, it was kind of, she even brings up her old master and what their original goal was for this mission and what she wants to do with that goal and with her own goals going forward. What does that look like for her? And it's definitely changed a little bit because she's one, she said she didn't have many friends. You know, she grew up in the Jedi temple, but it wasn't, you know, like best friends forever skipping through the daisies. It was, you know, this is training, this is work. And so she kind of has to think about what she wants for the future. And ultimately that's, you know, peace for the galaxy. So she has to do her part in that. At the very beginning of that conversation, though, it almost feels like Attain is ready to walk away from the Jedi Order and just join the Grand Army of the Republic. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which I, I don't necessarily think either would have been the wrong choice, but there's just one choice that's more right for what she wants her future to look like. And she doesn't know if she's going to be able to see Omega Squad again. She hopes so. And she also wants to be able to help many other clones. She wants to be, you know, that that light for the Jedi to be able to use. So before we wrap up our conversation, there is a tie-in to these books. It's... We should say that the books probably tie into the video game. The video game is the Republic Commando video game. There we get another group of clone commandos. They're Delta Squad. I know a lot of people really love that video game. Uh, your co-host on Animated Antics, Jay, really likes that video game. That's Boss, Fixer, Sev, and Scorch. Uh, another great set of names. Yeah, and... <laughs> Scorch, at least, has been brought into canon. I don't know about the rest, but Scorch is in the background of an episode of the Clone Wars animated show, and he is in a couple scenes of the Bad Batch. I can't remember the name of the, the planet, but it's where the Bad Batch go in and rescue Gregor and get him out. Uh, Scorch is oh, one uh, uh -huh. Scorch is the commando that is trailing the Bad Batch through that facility. I wish I could remember the planet right now, but it, it, it escapes me. 
what did you think of Etain's final decision? How did that kind of resonate? I think it's the decision that I assumed she would make. I did enjoy seeing her thought process. I enjoyed her arguments with Master Zay. How what the Jedi are doing is pretty unethical. What the Jedi are doing is pretty immoral. In leading these clones, well, not just in leading clones, but in having the clone army to begin with, in breeding these clones to be cannon fodder, basically, how can they not be seen as hypocrites? Because their tenant is to protect and venerate all life throughout the galaxy. And yet here they are leading troops into battle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very twisted. And so to finally, which I'm I'm sure in other legends novels, we get that, that similar perspective, but this is my first time getting to see a Jedi really question that and, uh, you know, step forward and say, I want to do good, and I don't know if this is the way to do it, but I'm going to kind of trust in the group that in order to end this conflict overall, we have to do what we have to do. I think the best choice an individual Jedi could make would be not to join the Grand Army of the Republic, not to be a general or a commander, but to travel the galaxy to the places that are hit hardest by the war and try to help the people who are hurt hardest by the war. And maybe at the end of this story, that is what is happening with Attain and Master Zay. They didn't really say that any troops were staying with them on Quilura. They just said that those two were staying to try to help the settlers, the inhabitants of the planet. So maybe in some way that is what they were doing. Yeah, I like that too. Just And I, that's kind of how I read it too, that it was just the two of them trying to uh, figure out how to uh, kind of mend the relationships between uh, the farmers and uh, Chinart and her mate, uh, but very interesting. They put together, they, they pose some very interesting questions and I don't think we get all the answers, but we get some really good deliberations on them for sure. Mm. Well, maybe we'll learn more going forward. Yes, so. more. Give me more of the clones. <laughs> all right, Kat, it's almost time for us to wrap up. But first, we have a few Star Wars character groupings to share. Mark, from the beginning of the show, sent us in two squadrons. The first is Twilight Squadron. Twilight One, first flight lead and the squadron leader is Wedge Antilles in an E-Wing fighter. Twilight Two is Gavin Darklighter in an E-Wing and Twilight Three is Broar Jace in an E-Wing. Twilight Four, the leader of second flight, is Luke Skywalker in his old T-65 X-Wing. Twilight 5 is Corrin Horn, also in a T-65. And Twilight 6 is Aiden Versio from Battlefront 2, the Inferno Squad, also in a T-65. Now, third flight lead, 
Twilight 7 is Jedi Master Plo Koon in an ETA-2 Jedi Starfighter. Twilight 8, Anakin Skywalker in an ETA-2. And Twilight 9, Adi Gallia in an ETA-2. And then finally, the support flight is led by Twilight 10, Han Solo, Chewie, Lando, and Nyan Nub in the Millennium Falcon. Twilight 11, Din Djarin and Grogu in the Razor Crest. And Twilight 12, Harris Syndulla and the Rebels crew of the Ghost. And they will all be based in a Nebula-class Star Destroyer with Grand Admiral Thrawn at the helm. Mark also sent in a landing party called Hammer Platoon and commanded by Captain Rex. First squad, Rex, Fives, Cody, the Bad Batch, and a bunch of ARC troopers from the Republic 501st. Second squad, squad leader Cassin Andor, Leia Organa, Cherit Imway, Baze, Malbus, Tarful, and Wookiee War Party. Third squad, squad leader Mara Jade from the Imperial Era, the Hand of Judgment, K2SO, and Darth Maul with a group of Maldalorians. Fourth squad, armor attachment, squad leader General Maximilian Veers in an AT-AT, second lieutenant Mad Dog Momo in an AT-ST, and the squad would be filled out with ATSTs from the Imperial 501st. Thanks for the great character groupings, Mark. Those are some awesome combinations you have there. Now, listener, if you have a character group that you'd like to share, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And don't forget to send in your Mount Rushmores, your mixtapes, your unpopular opinions. Send them all in. I love reading all the stuff you listeners come up with. And, of course... You can always send in any questions that you'd like me to read on the show. Kat, thank you very much for joining me today. It was so much fun, and I appreciate you asking me back to talk about my favorite lookalikes, because they're my boys. (laughs) If any folks don't know, Kat is the co-host of the Animated Antics podcast. What do you guys have coming up? Well, we just recorded our latest episode on X-Men, the animated series from the 1990s. So uh, that should be out by the time this episode comes out, I believe. And um, this year is looking like a really great year for animation. We have the third and final season of The Bad Batch coming up, and I will try not to cry through that episode. Um, but we're getting a ton this year, so so we're pretty excited to see what 2024 holds for all the animation. I can hear the theme song to X-Men the Animated Series playing in my head as you talk about it. Don't worry, there may or may not be a clip of me singing it. Not great, but <laughs> I do attempt to sing a little bit of it. <laughs> so so you, you don't proclaim to be the voice of an angel? No, not even close, but uh, <laughs> I can you know, do some doo-wops and whatnot, so. (laughs) Well, Kat, if the listeners would like to contact you or if they'd like to listen to the podcast, how can they do that? Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I am Kat Delancey, I think is my uh, normal one. And then for the pod, that's going to be at J, just the letter 
and cat and that's with a k one for the podcast we're also on instagram at animated antics or on blue sky um the podcast comes out on spotify and uh, google podcast couple other places so we always love to get new listeners old listeners let us know other animated series we want to cover um we've definitely done our share of star wars animation because it's fantastic so why not and uh there's like i said gonna be more down the pipeline so well coming up on the next episode of this show cat and i will dive into the second book of the series Republic Commando Triple Zero by Karen Travis. Cad, are you excited to continue the story of Omega Squad? Oh, yes. I've already started. I, I'm so, so excited. I love, love these clones and uh, we'll take all the content I can get. Listener, you can look forward to that episode coming out on February 23rd. And don't forget to check out the Roundtable episode with Kat and our other friends as we recently wrapped up our coverage of the new Jedi Order series. Did you have a lot of fun on the Roundtable there, Kat? I want to be on that Roundtable every night. I love I love our crazy friends so much. And it's always so much fun being able to just talk about a series that we all love so much and throwing around ideas and picturing Rajir as a bunny I think is perfect <laughs> well being the youngest in the round table one of my favorite things is constantly making references that only K2 and Scott and I get and you just looking at us like my god you guys are old what what I, is but you look so happy when you're talking about them so I just let it go like let the elders talk about whatever <laughs> They want and nod and smile because they're just so happy. <laughs> You're like the meme of that woman patting her grandmother on the back and, and moving her off into the bit. old folks' home. <laughs> A little bit. Awesome. I'm an old soul in other ways, but you guys got me beat sometimes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for joining me today, Kat. So, so much fun. I will do it as many times as you ask and maybe some that you don't. Who knows? Listener, once again, thank you very much for joining Cat and I on the Star Wars Legends Lounge today. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>